You are Locked On Aggies, your daily podcast on the Texas A&M Aggies, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Howdy, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson back in action, talking all things Texas A&M, and today, what are some things you want to hear from SEC Media Days coming up next week? Of course, you know, Jimbo Fisher is going to be in Birmingham along with every other team. What are some things you want answered by Fisher and what are some things we need to kind of have a clarity to before the start of the 2021 SEC season? If you like this talk and all things SEC, make sure you're listening to the Locked on SEC podcast with Chris Gordy, where he breaks down all 14 teams in recruiting, the baseball realm, course basketball, and naturally, all things college football leading up to the 2021 season. Subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live on the Odyssey app or at LockedOnPodcast.com. As always, make sure you're following me on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show, and I love public feedback. Anything you can do to make this a more quality-sounding podcast Monday through Friday, give me a follow, give me a shout-out, and I will add it into the mix. Secondly, Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies is your number one source for all things 12th May-related content found here on LLP. You can subscribe on iTunes, listen on Spotify, and if you can't do any of that, listen live every single day at LockedOnPodcast.com. So, before we go any further, I want to talk about Texas A&M baseball because there are a few players who maybe weren't selected in the best order, but they are going to continue their MLB careers at the professional level because they were drafted in the 2021 MLB draft. First up, you had Dustin Saints. He came out. Uh, the senior heard his name called by the Washington Nationals in the fourth round with the number 112 pick. This year, the uh, rounds have been shortened from 20 instead of the usual 40. The last year, it was only five rounds. The 5'11", 190-pound Saints found himself as an intriguing prospect for the team. He was the Aggies' ace this past season and has a great shot to make an impact, at least in some type of role, for the Nationals' bullpen. The left-hander started 14 games for the Maroon and White in 2021, finishing with a 6-6 record while holding a 4.27 ERA. He struck out 11.1 batters per 9 innings and had a whip of 126 while holding batters average to 2.51. He came to Texas A&M out of Corpus Christi King following a strong 2017 recruiting class. In the addition to him, you had pitchers Asa Lacey, who went number 4 last year, Christian Roa, who went number 48 last year, and Chandler Joswiak, who came in at some point he was drafted. We're going to get to that in a minute. As a true freshman, Saints star action in nine games starting in two. He finished with a no decision, but had a 3.32 ERA. As a sophomore, he started in 10 games, played in 10 elite appearances. He had two and one record with a 4.58 ERA. In a shortened 2020 season, Saints was actually one of the better players, came in five times for relief, started in two games, finished with a 2-0 record and a 3.12 ERA, and started to show that he was more of a strikeout pitcher than an actual groundout pitcher. He averaged 11.4 strikeouts per nine innings. One pick later, the long-term reliever also heard his name selected. That's right. The next pick right after that was uh, Bryce Miller. He was selected 113th overall by the Seattle Mariners. Now, this is interesting because Seattle has made the last two drafts early selections on Texas A&M's players. Remember, Zach DeLoke last year was a second-round pick taken by Seattle, and he actually made the 40-man roster during the regular season. Now he's back in, uh, this is, uh, I think it's 
single A ball. It's not single A, it's double A. A six foot two, 190 pound senior. Miller saw action as a rotational guy before working his way as the long term reliever. In 13 appearances, 10 of those being starts, he finished with a three and two record, a 4.45 ERA. And like most of the rotation, he also was a very strong strikeout pitcher, averaging 11.1 uh, strikeouts per nine innings. In 2020, he had eight relief appearances, finishing with a one and two record and a three and 3.27 ERA, but he did hold opponents' batting averages to a one point uh, a point one eight four. As a sophomore in 2019, he saw action in 23 uh, 33 games, finished with a four and two record, a 3.77 ERA, struck out 57 in 43 innings of work. He finishes his A&M career with 54 appearances, 10 of them being starts, a record of eight and six, a 4.07 ERA, a whip of uh, a whip of 2.81, 141 strikeouts in 110 point two-thirds innings pitched. Much like as we were talking about with Seattle, Washington double-dipped in the Aggies, uh, Aggies' success because they went and got a batter with first baseman Will Frizzell. He was selected in the eighth round by Washington with the number 233 pick. The six foot three, 235-pounder came out of nowhere with a massive season for the Aggies at the plate. He was one of the biggest bright spots in what was a down year for the team overall. He earned first-team All-SEC honors and by the league's coaches in 2021. He was also a second-team All-American by Collegiate Baseball and the National College Writers Baseball Association. This past year, he was great. The left-hander had a 343 batting average and OPS of 1.137. That's over the major league average. His 19 home runs were tied for 11th in all of college baseball. He also added 33 doubles, 49 RBIs, 46 runs scored. He led every single category for the team this past year. Frizzell's biggest moment came in the national spotlight in May when Texas A&M played host to top 10 Ole Miss team. In the three-game weekend, he had five home runs in the opener. He had the two-ahead, go-ahead, uh, go-ahead two-run shot in the fourth inning before capping things off with a walk-off solo shot to end the game with an Aggies win. He also hit a two-run long ball in the first inning of Game 3 and came up in the bottom of the seventh where he hit a grand slam that ended up being the game-winner giving the Maroon and White a huge series win. He won SEC Player of the Week. They expect him to be a big-time player at first base, even though he does have outfield statistics by trade. I would not be shocked to see him also, if the uh, if the MLB does go this path, for him to be a primary DH, because if there is a report that there is going to be only a universal DH rule for moving forward. I could see him actually finding much success there because of his vision, because of his success at the plate, and because of his ability to drive with runners in scoring position. And finally, it only took to the 13th round, but Chandler Jaswiak also is making his name selected on the third and final day. He was taken by the Miami Marlins in the 13th round with pick number 389. The senior left-hander saw 28 games of action this past year. He finished second on the team in ERA with a 3.48. He also had a 2-4 record while going 8 saves and a 1.16 whip. He struck out 11.5 batters per 9 innings while holding opponents to a 240 average on the year. From down road, uh, the Brenham... Uh, the Brenham native uh, emerged as a midweek starter for the team uh, during 2018, but slowly moved his way into the pen uh, as the team's closer. The six foot not, uh, five, the six foot 195 pounder started five games as a sophomore, but really saw his total go up as a reliever. He was able to return for another season of eligibility if he wanted to in 2020. That would not count towards him. He is now the fourth player taken. Uh, he also comes from that very historic class of pitchers that included Christian Roa, Asa Lacy, and of course, Dustin Sainz. So you look at this, 
four Aggies have been selected. The other one that I think people are going to be interested to see is Hunter Coleman going to be able to get his name called as a designated hitter. Maybe he provides some value to a team that's looking to add a late bat. That will be something interesting to see. I believe after that, that's probably it for Aggies baseball players. But you have four more Aggies making their impact in the MLB. And we wish them all the success representing the 12th man from here on the remainder of their careers. One thing I love to do is actually cook. I'm very good at it, but I, my girlfriend always tells me that I can't get things up to the restaurant style. And part of that is not based off me. It's actually based off the materials I use. Now I actually can with Made In. If you're serious about cooking, you should invest in your kitchen tools. Made In has cookware and kitchenware products that are some of the best and used by thousands of world chefs. The products are professionally quality cookware and the knives are those who love to cook. They source the finest materials and partner the renowned craftsmen to make premium kitchen tools available directly to you. Their cookboard distributes heal evenly and can go as high, uh, go as easily on stovetops to ovens and their knives are fully forged, perfectly balanced and stay sharp. Right now, Made In is offering our listeners 15% off with your first order with the promo code Locked On. This is the best discount available by Made In products. Go to madeincookware.com slash locked on and use the promo code Locked On for 15% off your first order. That's madeincookware.com slash locked on for promo code Locked On, 15% off. You want to cook? You want to have quality food? Go ahead and get in with Made In. Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Three, four, five, however many things I'll go through today. I need answered by Jimbo Fisher at SEC meetings. There's a ton of questions that are surrounding this team, even though they are coming off the 91 season, the historical best finish since 1939, and they're trying to show that they are right there as the next big competitor in the SEC. Not the SEC West. Not in college football, but in the SEC. The pigeonhole, the common ground, the best of the bunch college football market and division. So, first question that needs to be answered. Is there a front runner for the quarterback position? Everyone is talking about how the quarterback position is going to decide the team's success in 2020. One. No, I actually disagree with that. I don't. I've said multiple times, I believe Zach Calzada can get the job done under center if he were to be the starting quarterback. I believe Haynes King could get the job done if he was under center as the team's starting quarterback. I don't think that there is much of a difference between the two. The biggest thing for me that I wonder more than anything else is the offensive line. But it is helpful to know what quarterback maybe has the advantage because of that offensive line. You gotta remember, they're replacing four starters, and the only guy that's returning is Kenyon Green, who hasn't played the tackle role in two years. He's been a guard, and he's moved around. He's played right guard, he's played left guard, he's played all these other positions. So it will be interesting to see how they use him and what they do believe is going to be the best course of action on the offensive line. Now, again, if you're trying to build the most stable offensive line, you have to play the five best players. So if incoming freshman Bryce Foster immediately makes an impact, and I mean right away in camp, excels, shows everybody what they're missing, proves that he can be the guy, you have to start him. You have to. Because if you have to get the five best players out there. But it does help knowing what the quarterback position is. Because these are two very different quarterbacks who have similar skills, but their main assets are completely different. Haynes King is not a dual threat quarterback. I'm going to throw this out there right now. Everyone is saying Haynes King is a dual threat guy because he was able to run in high school. I had a high school quarterback. 
His name was Zach Wright. Guy was great. Guy used his legs. Guy's made a lot of plays on the ground. Guy was able to continue drives, keep them moving. But he wasn't a dual-threat quarterback. He just had bad protection, and he had to move. He had to move around all the time. King, when you look back at Longview, he trusted his legs, but that doesn't mean he was a bad player, or that doesn't mean the offensive line was bad. It just meant he liked to keep plays alive by moving outside the pocket. That's his best trait. Moving outside the pocket, using his legs, improving, and allowing his team to kind of get downfield, get open, make a second, third move if they have to, and then deliver a strike to keep drives alive. On the flip side, Zach Calzada is not that type of quarterback. Calzada is going to stay in the pocket and he's going to deliver strike after strike after strike across the middle of the field, towards the perimeter side, towards the boundary. He's going to do everything in his power to do a three-step drawback and find his target and connect right away. Keep the ball moving. Keep drives alive. Third and short. He's playing the field general. He has the IQ to lead the team. That is a different style of player. But at the same time, if a weak offensive line is blocking for someone like Calzada, it's not going to work. It just isn't. Because Calzada has to play at an elite level. Because if with an offensive line today, if you have bad protection, you have to be able to move. And if the offensive line is bad, well then at that point, Calzada is going to be in trouble. Because he's not a mobile guy. He doesn't like to move outside the pocket. He likes to stay where he's standing. And that's okay. That does work. And if anybody who says, oh, well, that's just boring. Okay, watch last year. Alabama's Mac Jones cannot move outside the pocket. Yeah, he ran for a couple first downs. Yeah, he kept drives alive with his legs. There's a lot of quarterbacks who do that. There's a lot of quarterbacks who see third and three. They see an opening through the A-gap. They run and they immediately slide when they get that first down. That's what Mac Jones did. Calzada can do that. I have no doubt about it. But what's going to be interesting is if they're trying to go run an offense that's a little bit more unique, a little bit more broad, I do believe Haynes King might be a better fit. But when you look at the history of what Jimbo Fisher likes in his quarterbacks, it actually is a Calzada mold. And Calzada actually would make the most sense because of how his frame is built, because of how his mechanics are, because of what you look for in the backfield. Look at every single quarterback that's been successful under Jimbo Fisher. This dual threat stuff that we hear, Jamarcus Russell dual threat, no, he wasn't dual threat. He was able to move and he bullied you. Jameis Winston, he wasn't dual threat. Yeah, he ran for a few touchdowns. A lot of quarterbacks do that. Tom Brady does that. That doesn't make him a dual threat quarterback. Lamar Jackson, who knows plays are available downfield, but elects to run it, is a dual threat quarterback. Josh Allen, a quarterback who has an immense arm, but still is not afraid to take the ball himself and go for 15 yards down the field, is more of a dual-threat quarterback. Haynes King is a lot like a Russell Wilson, I would say. An improviser. Moves outside the pocket, does well on rollouts, and is able to make plays with his legs by extending drives. That's fine. But it doesn't always fit what Jimbo Fisher's offense is going to try to run, and Kellen Mond was kind of the anomaly of it. And if you're trying to find someone to play like Kellen Mond, you go with probably a Haynes King. If you're trying to find somebody to play the system that worked for you in Tallahassee and in Baton Rouge, Calzada might be the guy. 
And I do think seeing that indication of which quarterback maybe has the edge, what he's looking for, and how he sounds talking about these quarterbacks is a very big deal, not just to fans, but to the team. Because it does give you an indication of what direction the team is heading in going into fall camp. And I do think that is the most important thing. If you know what you have at quarterback, you know what you like at quarterback, and you also kind of pull out the flaws and where they can improve and what you're looking for going into the month before the season. That also gives you a boost of confidence from the organization, from the fan base, from the boosters, that you know 9-1 was just the tip of the iceberg to a very successful start to what is hopefully a dynasty in College Station. This episode of Locked on Aggies is brought to you by Built Bar, where a candy bar meets a protein bar. Did you know that Built Bar has so many delicious flavors that there's something new for everyone? And whatever you really like, whether it be Cherry Barcia, Mint Brownie, Salted Caramel, Cookies and Cream, know that they are covered in 100% real chocolate and they're soft and easy to chew. My favorite flavor right now is the Salted Caramel and it is great for me during my workouts. If you haven't tried all the flavors, you can also get a mix box where you get up to two of each of the nine flavors. The Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate and are soft and easy to chew. Plus, they're great for anybody on the keto diet because they're high in protein, low in sugar, high in fiber, and low in calories. Every single bar has 17 to 18 grams of protein, 130 calories, four or five grams of sugar, and only five grams of net carbs. Go visit BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 to save 50% off your next purchase. That promo code is LOCKED15 for 50% off at BuiltBar.com. Stop eating the salty sweets and enjoy a treat that will meet your needs. Built Bar from BuiltBar.com. Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. In 25 minutes or less, you get caught up on everything you need to know about sports. All you gotta do is listen to the Locked on Today's show. Get all your sports teams in 20 minutes with Pete Bukowski as he updates you on the latest news sport from your local experts. Follow Locked on Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast listening systems. Next question I want answered. What is the health status of Baylor Cup? When you get a five-star tight end, really a five-star any player, you want them to be an immediate contributor. And honestly, you can argue that part of the reason for Jalen Widermeyer's success is due to the inability and, more importantly, the inactiveness of Baylor Cup. This was a six foot five, six foot six tight end prospect who was expected to explode onto the scene. He was the number one or number two, depending on what you know recruiting site you were looking at. He was the number one or number two tight end prospect going into the 2018 class. 19 class, 19 class, my bad. And he hasn't played due to two season-ending injuries. He had a leg injury, uh, he had a wrist injury, he had a a foot injury. He's had a lot of injuries. But if Daryl Dickey and Jimbo want to run an offense that can be a little bit more dynamic, a 12-man personnel actually does provide that because if it allows you to expand your run game, It also allows you to have two security blankets across the middle of the field for a young quarterback, and it takes pressure off of a third wide receiver, an area that Texas A&M is struggling going into the season to find. Really, they're struggling to find a number one receiver, and they have a bunch of number threes on their staff. But I need to know his health status, because at some point, you're tired of seeing a player look like they're about ready to bounce back, and they're not. They just continue to have injuries, they continue to have setbacks, and they never transform into anything great. And you hate to see it for a five-star, but you really hate to see it for a player who has all the potential, but just can't stay healthy. And that's a big thing, is there's players in every single position you look at and you say, okay, I cannot wait to see them explode, and they never do, 
not because of their own merit, but because of they just can't get on the field and remain healthy. That's going to be something that I look forward to. I would like to see what Jimbo says about him, and hopefully we're able to get a good glimpse of him in fall ball to where he's not injured, to where he actually is on the field, to where he is making an impact. And we do see that 12-man personnel set. So this is going to be interesting. Number three, what do you make of Anias Smith? Where will he play? Is he going to be a versatile player? I've said this for a while. I believe that Anaya Smith is Kadarius Tony 2.0. I think he could have a really good year. I think he could break out in more ways than one. I think that there's a lot to like about him. And overall, when you watch his production and how he plays the game, he does everything not perfect, but pretty damn close to it. So I want to know where you're going to play him. With the addition of LJ Johnson, do you just play him as a slot receiver? Again, he was the number one receiver last year even though he put up numbers that most teams would say are number two or number three on rosters. I, though, think you could use him in so many ways. And because the NFL is transforming into a still gadget league to where players like Curtis Samuel, to where players like Kadarius Toney can make an impact on their teams and not just be limited to playing the slot receiver role, but make more sense doing a little bit of everything, playing the run, helping out in the passing game, Heck, even throwing passes. There's a lot to like about what a player of Smith's capability can do. But if you limit him to one spot, so be it. You just now have to master that spot going into a pivotal season. I don't know what he's going to be, but I would love to know what he's going to be. Final question I need answered right now. Where is the room for improvement? What's the biggest area you still are worried about going into the season? Because even Alabama, the juggernaut, the Coupe de Gras, of college football has worries. Of course they have worries. Who wouldn't have worries? You're going into a season where you're trying to prove you were a contender and you lost a ton of talent. A&M lost some talent. They lost mostly their offensive line. They lost their quarterback. They lost some defensive players. But they're not really losing a ton of talent. Alabama loses talent left and right, but they also lost a coach. And if you take anything away from this, look at LSU in 2019. They had everything going for them. Everything. Won national title. Looked to be the next juggernaut. Looked to have all the pieces there. They lose players to the draft. Joe Burrow, Justin Jefferson, uh, uh, Grant Delpit, just name a few. Jacob Phillips. Then Jamar Chase opts out. Then they lose Joe Brady, their OC, or pass game coordinator, whatever you want to call him, co-OC, pass game coordinator. Then they lose Dave Aranda to Baylor. They hire Bo Pelini. And it all goes to hell. I mean, there's not a moment where it doesn't look bad for this team. So I view that as a sign saying, okay, if I'm Alabama, I lost Steve Sarkeesian. I lost my main guy for the offense. Is Bill O'Brien going to work? Same thing for AM. Yeah, they didn't really lose much, but what they didn't gain was much either. Where on the offensive line is the flaw? Is that the biggest thing you got to worry about going into, this, into training camp? Is it the second-year slumps from guys like a Jalen Jones, like an Antonio Johnson? Is it something where a guy at wide receiver, like a DeMond Demas, is not actually performing up to par? Like a Chase Lane is very average. Like a Hezekiah Jones has a setback with an injury. Every team should know where the flaw is going into July. And right now, 
I look at this and I think admitting that there is a flaw and there is a hole somewhere on the roster gives you the benefit of the doubt to be able to build and you know where to look going into the season. No team is perfect. That's never going to happen. But I do believe Texas A&M has to figure out what their key flaw is. If they do, they can hone in on it, circle around, and make sure they fix it in time before games really start to matter. And they really start to matter in week four when you head to Arlington to face off against the Hawks. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following me on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson, at Locked on Aggies. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast listening systems. We'll be back tomorrow to talk a little bit of an early preview of the SEC. They have given out now New Year's Six rankings. Where teams rank is Texas A&M, a really legitimate playoff contender, or are they a year away? Here's some other teams to watch for. Subscribe. We'll see you tomorrow. And remember, you and y'all. This has been Locked on Aggies. Presented by the Locked On Podcast Network.